Tyson, welcome to the show, buddy. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, no problem. So for those of you who don't know, Tyson is the head coach for the New England Cartel, sorry, and uh, those guys like uh, Cater and Font, who just had a huge win recently, we're going to talk about. So uh, yeah, welcome, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. It's exciting. I was always a, uh, a big fan of yours when you were fighting when I first got into the sport, and uh, it was cool to come full circle and uh, get on here. Yeah, so tell me about Font, man. Font just had a huge win. Had him on the podcast, last guest. So it's just perfect that I have you on next. Uh, he, he broke down the fight pretty damn well. Um, and then you've shared a little bit of uh, some of your, some of your uh, uh, research on Cody. And you, sen- you seem to do very extensive research. I was very uh, impressed with your research and uh, your breakdown and everything. And uh, it seems like you put a lot of effort into being a good coach. Yeah, I mean, I just – we got here just because when I was fighting, there was a lot of things that I didn't have and – um, so little by little, I started helping my teammates. That's how I got into coaching. I was just all, you know, you're, you're fighting a wrestler. Let me work on this with you. And, um, I never had delusions of going to the UFC or anything like that. So it was just helping my friends. And then that parlayed into, you know, building trust little by little. And I just keep seeing that, you know, ways to get better. You know, I, I benchmark, I, I follow the, you know, some of the best coaches in the game and I kind of see things that they're doing that I like or things that I don't like. And, you know, we kind of put our own style together and, um, yeah, I think these guys are going into a into a fist fight on national TV in their underwear, and the other guys trying to take half their money and put staples yeah. in their head. So, I always take it very serious in terms of the research because I I can't get in there and fight with them, but I can do everything I can in my power at home to try to make sure they're ready to you know get no surprises in the cage. So, it takes a lot of work, but you know you know you've had good coaches too, and um, they deserve it. You know these guys fighting's hard. You know that. It's uh, they're dieting, they're freaking training two, three times a day, the pressure, you know, and it only gets harder as you, as you climb harder. So, you know, I just try to do everything I can to try to make them just think about performing on fight night. Right. And we'll definitely get to where, uh, or how you've got to where you are right now, but first give me a breakdown on font. So just kind of give me a breakdown of, um, I guess we'll start with just signing the fight, uh, the excitement of getting that fight, uh, the danger of having that fight against someone like Cody Garbrandt, who's just a dangerous fighter. Uh, the preparation for the fight, and then how the fight turned out as far as what went right, what went wrong, uh, and then how you felt after the fight, and, and then where we go from here. Yeah, so back in, I, I want to say, we found out in late February that we were probably fighting Cody, and all we knew is that it was in May, May, but we were told that it was definitely not a, a main event, it was a three-round fight. Um, but fast, you know, even further back from that, you know, in January when we got back from Fight Island, you know, me and Rob had a call, and I said, listen, all the guys around us right now, you know, we're targeting May. All the guys around us are, are pretty good wrestlers. We're probably not going to get San Hagen. Maybe we get TJ. Maybe we get Cody. All these guys. I was like, the, the chances are after the Marlon fight, people are going to try to take us down. And um, so we started wrestling. We got into like a, I call it a meat and potatoes camp. You're doing their, your basics, you know, strength and condition two days a week. We're wrestling three days a week. And then anything on top of that is great, you know. And so we started doing that in January. And then, um, Fast forward, they told us we we're going to get Cody. So then we started thinking, you know, dialing in specific things for Cody. Uh, but we didn't know a date, and we thought it was three rounds. And then I think it was when the day that Brett Akamoto broke it on Twitter is the day we found out it was the main event. Um, as Sean was texting me, I was getting a call from Brett to confirm the fight. But I'm like, well, clearly you know before I did. So, yeah. and uh, and we're like, all right, it's a it's a five round fight, but. You know, we, not much changes in training from three to five rounds. It's more of an IQ and a pace thing during the fight. But, you know, we had been focused on wrestling because we were looking at all, all the guys around us in the division. And after watching the Marlin fight, Rob, Rob obviously looked very scary on the feet, but he looked like he had a little bit of a hole in the wrestling. So 
we thought that's something people would probably try to take advantage of. So we tried to get ahead of that. And, uh, you know, I know it, maybe it didn't show in the fight, but uh, Rob's uh, been working a lot on his wrestling and, um, you know, trying to keep the fight on the feet. And, um, yeah, so then in camp, you know, once we got the name and we had the date and we found out it was five rounds, not too much really changed from three to five rounds. But then once we figured out Cody, then, you know, we start dialing in on, okay, who's going to be our sparring partners? What types of uh, takedowns does Cody like to do? What types of, you know, things is he good at on the feet? What do we have to be careful of? And I always break it down into, like, we're in a sandbox. And uh, what part of the sandbox do we have the advantage that he doesn't? And then let's try to move the fight into that part of the sandbox. We're always kind of fighting on our terms. And and obviously a big big thing with Rob at the 135, you know, the bantamweight division, he's got a long reach. He should – and he should be able to dictate, uh, manage distance and dictate range and, um, control the cage with that. But with, you know, someone like Cody, if you let him go first and, and, and come forward and control the cage, it's going to be a long night and you're right. going to be reacting to his power the whole time. And then he can mix in some wrestling. It makes him a really dangerous opponent, but we really felt that if we came out early and established, you know, control of the cage and, and, and kept our lead hand busy, but not necessarily jab heavy at the beginning because we figured they'd have a plan for that. Yeah. But just keep our lead hand busy, making them think about it, making them react to that, and then, you know, mixing in some uh, some right hands, some level changes. And then uh, a big thing that we had for this camp was that, uh, you know, that push kick, that, you know, the yeah. stab up the middle. Um, and I, I think if you go back and watch the – the fight, you know, it, it looks like Rob just jabbed around the cage and, you know, Rob has the best jab. And, and I think he does have the best jab. But I think if you look, I think it was like one minute, 50 seconds left in the first round. Right before Cody shot, uh, Rob landed a, a push kick right up the middle, caught him in the chin. Mm-hmm. And then Cody went backwards and then immediately wrestled. Yeah. And um, and I, I think he was just never the same after that. And then it was interesting because, we, you know, I thought that. But then you go back and watch the UFC Destined episode two. And the first thing Cody says when he gets back in the van, he's like, yeah, man, he caught me with that stabs. He caught me with that run right to the chin. He's like, that up and sucked. And and I think it had a an effect the rest of the, you know, the next four rounds as he was a more hesitant to come forward, which gave us the cage, which allowed us to dictate everything in the pace of the fight. And it kind of kept him on his back heel. So, um, you know, it's good when a plan works out. But yeah. <laughs> sometimes they don't always work out. I think I think it was you know, from from like a simple term uh or simple terms for someone like that's not as extensive in coaching and and fighting it would seem like a scary game plan to go right into the fire with someone like cody who hits so hard and is so fast um but the way font came straight into him and he was fainting and moving a lot of the feints and movement i felt like i want to talk to to font as well he shut him down without ever hitting him i think when he landed that big punch midway through the second round or sorry first round that definitely definitely uh changed the 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 pace of the fight and woke uh cody up and made him a little bit more timid um but he was backing up and and kind of like on the defense well before that when well before font landed anything big and i think that was the fact that he went right into the fire went right after him stayed in his face whether you know he was getting hard shots taken at him or not um he was fainting he was moving and i think that was enough just by itself without landing to throw Cody off. And, and I think it did. Yeah, I think, I mean, it sounds silly saying this, but uh, I don't think Cody's super comfortable at kickboxing range. He wants to go, you know? Yeah. He wants to get in there, blitz with that right hand. Or if he's not doing that, he's throwing a lot of kicks, you know? And I think that that's a, I don't want to call it a nervous tick, but it's definitely like if nothing's happening at C range, you know, we call it C range, the kickboxing range. If nothing's happening there, he's, He's either going to blitz forward or he's going to retreat and go backwards. So 
Uh, we wanted to make him as uncomfortable there as, as we could, and that led with the, the fainting, keeping our lead hand long, because he, he clearly had a quickness advantage over us. So we thought we we kept our lead hand a little bit longer. Everything he throw would be from further away. We'd have a little bit more time to react, and you know, just a split second can be a big difference in the sport. And um, and then just keeping the lead hand busy, and then showing the rear knee, showing the lead knee, showing the level changes, and just keep stamp switching and moving and changing the angles. So almost like he he just never knows when to go, and if he doesn't know when to go and he's nervous, he's just going to keep moving backwards. And then Rob just keeps you know taking more real estate, and then Rob can mix in the punches. And you know especially once we got him on the warning track, he doesn't have a lot of a lot of spaces to go. He's going to come big or he's going to retreat, and that's when we can work our step throughs. And you know there's some things Rob did uh, did really great, and then there's some things that we were like we wish he would have done a little bit better. And that's you know our coach's job is right. to be critical of it and um, make sure it doesn't happen again. But I think. Um, yeah, it was. It, it, it's hard not to be super, super proud of Rob. You know, fighting one of the scariest guys in the division that people are really high on—a former champion—and champ, yeah. like you said, to put yourself in the fire and uh, and still not get burned. Yeah, and you know the thing is, is like you say, Cody is the faster guy. It would be interesting to see if they could figure out, you know, do a test to figure out who was faster because I do think Cody is definitely fast. Um, but I, I know Cody lands off of like the the brawl a lot right so he lands a lot of his punches when they're brawling and and they don't see the punch coming and they're both throwing at the same time that's not necessarily speed as much as just landing at the right time because you're just throwing so much and you're in the brawl um, one thing i noticed about font in that fight is he would go from from outside range and come in with like a jab or a cross and land it completely without cody seeing it and then back out of range that to me is really good speed because especially with someone like Cody, how many times we saw Cody's head jar back when he was in normal fighting position when Font was out of range, but he would come in, land the punch, and then back back out. I mean, that's crazy because he wasn't in a brawl. He wasn't throwing punches. Cody wasn't like distracted by throwing his own punches. Cody was just sitting there waiting for him to throw a punch, and he would come in and punch Cody, and Cody wouldn't even put his hands up because it was so fast. So I was very impressed by that. Yeah, I think, uh, I think us being able to, you know, go from C range to B range to A range and get back out is, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's Rob's footwork. He has, obviously he's got great jabs and he punches, he's got good mechanics, but he's also got good footwork. And I think his coach, Jake, his Muay Thai coach just put up a video of him and Calvin, both stepping with a punch, stepping out, missing a hook, and then coming with a rear uppercut in the landing. It was uh, Calvin and Burgos and then Rob in, uh, in this fight. And, um, yeah, he's got great footwork too. And that allows him to like get in and out of ranges and, and, and be safe. And, um, yeah, it would be interesting to see who actually has the quicker hands, but you know we don't want to necessarily test that in the fight. No, <laughs> you no. just uh, you know because <laughs> no. Cody's sitting he hit so power. freaking hard, and and yeah, man, we uh, you know those fights are scary. Anytime you're yeah. fighting a guy like that, a guy like Jeremy Stevens, any of these guys, it's you know you're playing with fire the whole time. And and that fifth round, I'd be lying if I wasn't looking at the clock, but wishing it was moving faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a fight, even even though you know you're winning. Like, I mean, I had him winning the whole fight, but even if you're winning, it's like it can end at any second with Cody. You know what I mean? He throws so hard, so powerful, and he was still throwing powerful. And I will say, yep. Font cost some hard shots. So hats off to Font for, for his, uh, his chin because he definitely cost some hard shots and didn't show it. He didn't back up. He didn't, he didn't buckle. He just kept going forward, which was also, I think, not great for Cody when he's used to knocking people down, knocking people out, and then he hits somebody, and then all of a sudden that same person is like a zombie right in his face again, you know, no, knowing that that punch landed. There was not, it's not like he didn't land that punch. Um, but it is a fight. You got to hold your breath until it's over, even in a fight where he's winning the whole fight because he could end up losing that fight right at the end. And then, and then it all goes, it doesn't matter what he did in the first four rounds. It's he loses by knockout. It's, it's, it's devastating. And, you know, even getting a rematch would be tough. 
that would be the worst loss. Yeah. <laughs> winning for 24 <laughs> minutes and suck, losing right? for 25th. It's a, yeah, that would have been a, a tough bill as well. So I was looking at that clock. I was like, just keep moving, just keep moving. And I was, you know, asking Rob to stay disciplined and just, just, just stay long and keep moving his feet. And, you know, it's fortunate that it worked out how it did. And, you know, I'm just, it's nice to see Rob finally get, you know, a little win streak going. And it was always two up, one down. And now he's beaten, you know, the best guys in the world. So it's, it's impressive to see, even though I'm part of it, it's, it's just impressive to see him finally, like, like getting to where we knew he could get. Yeah, I know he's taking some time off a little bit this week or whatever, but I could see there could be a possibility opening up. He could get a really big fight here soon if one of these fights falls through. I mean, we obviously know Sterling and Jan's in the future, but, uh, you know, uh, Sterling's injured. Who knows what could possibly happen with that fight with Jan and then uh, TJ and uh, Sandhagen. I mean, if one of those guys back out, I would assume Font would be the first guy they call in. You know, I don't know when that fight's happening for sure. When is, it's, it's coming up soon, though. July I think. 24. That might be a yeah, little... July 24. No, that's, that's plenty of time. So I think he's, yeah. I think he's probably going to... I assume he's probably going to be decently ready for that just in case. Yeah, I mean, that's right now, like we always say, we focus on what we can control and right. we can't control who they decide to give title shots to and all that and timelines and opponents. But what we can control is being ready if something opens up. And um, one way for us to kind of take the the bull by the horn, so to speak, and get in the driver's seat of who gets the next title shot after Jan and Aljo is to be ready to replace TJ or Corey if either one of those guys get hurt. We win that fight. We're a clear-cut number one contender. Absolutely. And then we can go fight the winner of that fight. So, um, you know, they always say like, you know, you control your own destiny in the sport by just being a professional, being ready, and then taking advantages of uh, take advantage of opportunities like that. So, you know, some people I think would rest on their laurels a little bit, sit back, and um, just say they're going to wait and play it out. And then other people are going to kind of take the same approach as Rob and get back in the gym and be ready in case an opportunity presents itself. Yeah, see, at AK, we, we definitely, once we got to that certain level, we kind of had to stay training all the time. I would always go to Thailand, so I would always spend a lot of time in Thailand. Um, I would take a break, then I would go to Thailand, and I'd get my, my Muay Thai down, then I would come back and then kind of adjust from the Muay Thai training to MMA training, and then have my full eight weeks, sometimes 12 weeks from there. Um, and then when I got in the top five, and when I was in middleweight, and then when I got to welterweight, um, it was pretty much training full-time, so either in Thailand or uh, at home, just because you never knew, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, And I had to jump yeah. into a couple fights uh, short notice that, that I didn't expect to be in. So I assume that's the same once these guys get to that level where Fawn is right now with you, with you as well, huh? Yeah. I, I think if you don't, if you're not already doing that, it's hard to get to this level. Exactly. You know, Robert yeah, Calvin, like I coach two guys, I coach Robin Calvin and then, you know, I have a bunch of guys I manage, but Robin Calvin, you know, for the style that we have, it's just so intensive in building camps around them and, and all that. I, I couldn't coach a handful of guys. You know, we have a little bit of a different way we kind of approach training and, um, it's not to say it's better. It's just what works for us. Right. And, um, Rob and Calvin, like they, I always say if, if out of camp, they're training more and probably even more intense than a lot of the other guys that I, I see in camp, you yeah. know? And, uh, I think that's one thing that other fighters around here are starting to learn is like, listen, if you want to reach this top level, like there's no off season, there's right. like you recover and then you get back in the gym and you do whatever you can to keep improving. And, um, it's always easiest to improve. Like, your skill set when you don't have a boat agreement. That's the time that you should be learning, taking risks, uh, filling holes in the boat, so to speak, and then like rubbing salt in the wound of a fresh, you know, we always say we get to learn off your wins too, right? And there's a lot of stuff that Rob can learn off this. So we get back in the gym this week and we start saying, listen, like that was a great win, but like, man, you got lucky here or you did this wrong or why didn't you listen here? And then and we start like filling that hole. So that way when he does jump in that next fight, he's not making that same mistake. And um you know, Rob and Calvin, I always say that out of camp, they're they're at a six or a seven 
and we get that bout agreement, it's easy to dial up to a nine, yeah. eight or a nine, and then on fight night be a ten. A lot of these fighters, they're like a one or two or three out of camp, and then it takes them the whole camp to get up to like that seven or the the eight, and then they're hoping to go in there with a nine or a ten on fight night. Um, but realistically, a lot of them aren't. And um, you know, that's I, I'm just lucky to have two guys like Robin Calvin that that work so hard even when they don't have a bout agreement. Yeah, and I agree. And when I said out of camp. Uh, time off i didn't mean like literally time off so i mean we always train but the difference for ak is yeah. like when we're in fight camp it's we, we train super hard we've had to tone it down a lot so we were we're one of the the first gyms we're one of the first super gyms like 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 you had the militich you had lines then you had ak you know what i mean so we're, we're one of the first super gyms that's still around today so back back in those days militich uh, Lions Den and AK, we train all of us, all three gyms, train ridiculously hard. I mean, we beat the shit out of each other three days a week, sparring three days a week, aerodyne three days a week, uh, even Tuesday and Thursdays, which was the easier day. We still killed each other on wrestling, grappling, uh, and cardio. So, you know, our, our off time would be going in on the other guys and still training every day. We always train every day, but going in on the other guys when they spar versus being sparred or, or you know, so basically when we have a fight yeah. camp coming up for me, when I was getting ready, I had when I, my sparring days, I had to go three to five rounds and I would have Koscheck, Fitch, and sometimes Jake Shields come in. So in one yeah. round, I would have Koscheck, a fresh Koscheck, uh, and it would depend on who has fights coming up to the order that we went and then who was in their kind of off time would be just going in on the other guys and, and then doing light sparring and then, you know, doing hard grappling, hard cardio. Um, so I'd have Koscheck the first round or something, and then I'd have like a fresh Fitch for round two and then like a Jake Shields round three or something like that. And, and, and it, would, it was – you got your ass kicked every time. I mean, it was just you can't win. Yeah. You can't win against these guys. But then when I would go fight – and I had the number two ranked, the number one ranked, the number third ranked guy in the world as my training partners, that was a huge confidence booster, no matter if they kicked my ass or not. You know? and, and I was fighting mm -hmm. one guy when I went out there to fight. I wasn't fighting three guys you know, that were, were fresh every round. So it's like it, going in for round two, going in for round three, that, was, that same guy that I fought in round one and two is coming out for round three helped a little bit for us. So I didn't necessarily mean off like we're off at like Disneyland riding yeah. the rides and like not doing anything because we could never get back in shape fast enough for sure uh, to get ready for that. So Font, when Font won the fight against Cody Garbrandt but what is it like being a coach going backstage I, I know that like as you win bigger fights from my experience like how I felt and how I reacted when I when I'd win a fight because each fight would be like your, your level would go up and you'd feel like wow am I a star yet like am I am I a contender yet am I uh you know you're always going to ask your coach like did I did my am I am I there yet kind of thing because you keep winning against these bigger guys what was it like with Font when he went backstage and realized that he had this big win and for you as a coach, like what happened? What, what, what was that kind of like uh, realization of what had just happened and, and the celebration and stuff? I think for him, I think it was like validating. It was kind of a sense of relief. Like, you know, you know how it is with a coach and a fighter. You have these talks over the years. So that's been like 12 years now. You have these talks of, you know, you can get to this spot and now it's just a matter of executing and doing it. And, you know, he had had the, a few other chances against like Lineker, Munoz and Asuncao and he fell short every time. And, and every time after those fights, it's like, listen, I, I know I can win these fights. And it's just, I, I just, I'm falling short. And, right. you know, we're trying to make some changes. And, and I saw it then, you know, he got the, uh, the, the Marais fight and, you know, that was validating. But then as you have these people like, well, was it a fluke? Did we catch Marais at the right time? And then, and then they throw a monster like Cody Garbrandt in front of you. And I think it was almost more confidence building the way he did it versus if he would just gone out and knocked him out. If he would just right, gone out and knocked right. him out the first round, I'd be like, Oh, Cody's chin's gone. He doesn't have it. Rob. Yeah. Maybe Rob's good, but we don't know. Right. You right. know, he went against a, a battered Marice and a battered Cody, but then the way he did it and just picked him apart technically yeah. and probably landed the harder shots and, and stayed disciplined for 25 minutes. Uh, we can take that as, as a coach, I'll take that 
any day because that's a, we're going to parlay that into a lot of lessons learned going into the next camp. A lot, a lot more confidence being built in the gym from that fight. Um, but you could see it. It was like it's like the whole team was so proud of him. He was, you could tell it was like kind of the monkeys officially off my back. Like now I, I've arrived. I know I'm here. Like, it, okay. All the people asking you like, well, if you fought a title fight, like, do you think you're ready? It's like, yeah, I'm ready. Like if I, you know, there's three guys ahead of me, two, three guys ahead of me. Um, I think I could beat them all. Here's how. And I think it's, um, it's kind of a coming out party for him. And I think it was, a. You know, I don't want to say like a relief as in a negative way, but it was like a big relief that he finally like got that monkey off his sure. back. And as a friend and a coach, it's, it's, you're just proud to see that moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, it, it, it was exciting, man, to see anybody get a big win. I love Cody. Cody's a friend of mine. I know how dangerous he is. I want to see him get a win too. But I just had fun on the podcast, you know, the second time last time. And seeing these guys coming up, it's like I can relate to winning those big fights. So, I, you know, whoever it is, even Rose, I was like almost in tears when Rose won her championship the last time. It's like when, you know, I, I, I have emotion for these fighters when they win. And so it's always, uh, it, it's always a good feeling to watch hard work pay off. And the discipline part that you mentioned is very important because he did maintain discipline for that entire five rounds. Not to mention that he showed he can go five rounds in a championship level fight with the former champion who's as dangerous as Cody and take the punches and dominate and 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 like you said you know just uh clear cut win the fight and I think that I think just for all those reasons that really that was the best way he could have won that fight yeah I think uh it was just impressive all around we're still kind of riding high from it but yeah. at the same time it's you climb this tree and the branches just keep getting thinner and thinner and the monsters just keep getting scarier and scarier so um I think it's motivating you know get back in the gym and just keep keep improving and like I said the only thing we can be do is be ready for January 24th, July 24th, if one of those guys fall out. And yeah. uh, hopefully then we can, you know, be a clear cut headline or a clear cut, you know, number one contender. All right, fellas, you want to help the podcast? Here is your opportunity. You can save 20% now and get free shipping on the best below the waist men's grooming products on the market by going to manscaped.com, M A N S C A P E D.com today. Use code QUICK. That's my nickname, not how you use the product. And you get 20% off free shipping. It's a win-win for everyone. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels, and now they're available in Europe, Canada, and Australia. And yes, I actually use these products. I'm getting more shipped right now. I got the Manscaped bag here, got the preserver, got the reviver, mm -hmm. the reviver, the crop mop, a whole bag of crop mops. And they even give you this. So you can actually uh, use Manscaped to manscape your eyebrows and your toes huh it's like the best it is everything you need to appeal to your lady friend so don't thank me thank yourself for going to manscape.com entering code quick and getting your order at 20 percent off discount and free shipping and then, you know, Calvin just had a tough, tough fight. Calvin Cater against uh, Holloway. Tough fight, a legend of the sport. Um, how's he doing now? How's he holding up and how's everything going? He's good, man. He's just hungry. He wants to get back in there. Yeah. Um, we had made a uh, decision right after the fight. We were going to wait six months to do any contact just to be safe. And, yeah, for sure. You know, he's passed all the all – the, um, you know, fortunately, we went when the PI opened back in 2017, I took the guys out there and we got baselines on everything, which included the concussion protocols and all that. So we had a baseline to go off of. And then a week after the fight, uh, we got back from Abu Dhabi and, um, 
I had the PI open early and they did another protocol test and he was like pretty much right at his baseline. So it wasn't like where there's any huge red flags or anything like that, but we're still gonna be safe. Then a month later he had another one. He was the same. And then we just had one, uh, probably like three or four weeks ago, we had another baseline and he's better than his baseline from 2017. So like no red flags or anything like that. He's clear to go back to full contact training, but we're just going to wait till mid July just to be safe. And then, mid-july we'll get back in the uh he's already been in the gym doing two days you know he's grappling hard he's uh wrestling he's hitting mitts he's doing all that stuff we're just not doing any contact and then um mid-july we'd be comfortable with taking a bar agreement for probably like late september or october and um i think that's one of the hardest things for a fighter to do especially someone like you know calvin is to to take a little, little bit of a breather and um just heal you know he he those last three fights, he was dealing with hand issues. He broke his nose three fights, two or three fights in a row. Um, but now he'll be 100% physical going into a camp. And um, it, it'll be exciting to see. He hadn't had a break since the Lamas camp. You know, he'd been in camp year-round, parlaying one win into the next, into the next, into the next. And um, he deserves some some time off. And, you know, if he had his way, he'd already have a bout agreement. He'd already probably fought by now. And um, we're just trying to, to, to be smart with it. And, um, you know, there is no rush. You know, he'll still get two fights this year, um, which I think when you're looking at the top five guys, they usually only fight once or twice a year right. just because it's so hard, you know, to get the right fights. So, yeah, so I think he's he's in a good place mentally. Right now he's in Texas with his family for the holiday. He'll be back tomorrow, and then we'll all be getting back in the gym. And, um, yeah, I mean, taking a fight like that, it's obviously it's tough, but I think you got to look at the positives. Is like he got to feel – the highest level that's ever probably performed in the 145 pound division. Right. He got to feel it for 25 minutes yep. and he came out the other side yeah. thinking like, damn, I fought like shit. He fought amazing. I was still there at the end. And, um, you know, how, how can I get there? Cause you know, you, you know, it's like when you go against excellence, there's a little bit of a rub, you know, yeah. he got to feel that. And now he's going to be like, all right, I felt it. Now I gotta, now I gotta get there. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I'm excited for his next fight. Yeah. That, that man he, he's tough he's a tough kid i mean he's obviously very skilled but very tough too and i think that showed a lot in that fight yeah calvin's you know he's uh he's just a and the nicest kid too yeah. you know he's tough like I, everybody got to see how tough he was we already knew that but um yeah he is skilled too and i think this is gonna you know motivate him to you know take it to that next level like take it to like okay like i felt that now I know I can do that too. And then get back in there and, and, and do it sometimes, you know, it's, it's cliche. You learn from, you know, you win or you learn. And, and I really think there's a lot of lessons he's taking from that fight that our team's taking from that fight, um, of how to, you know, do things a little bit different and how to be more prepared for a fight. And, um, cause it's not just him that loses. Yeah. He's the one that gets hurt, but like, I, I feel a bit of responsibility in that fight of like, okay, how could we have prepared him better to, execute a little bit better in that fight how can we you know get that messaging across the next time to ensure that doesn't happen again and so i think that fight made us all better and it's it was interesting in the rob fight uh with cody the parallels that people kept comparing that fight to the max fight and you know it's the same team on this side but we're on different ends this time and you know um it, it's it's interesting because i think rob sitting in the corner for 25 minutes watching calvin go against max it's yeah. It's like there's a rub there too. He got to see that, like, holy shit! Like, look at this guy being disciplined, still making better. You know, he's winning the fight and making adjustments to keep getting better. Um, and then, you know, you look at how Rob performed in his fight, and a lot of people were comparing those two with the amount of significant strikes and stuff like that, and it's just being disciplined. And I think that had a, uh, you know, an effect on Rob in his next fight. 
And while I have your expertise here, and uh, these are the two fights ahead of Font right now, what is your take? What is your quick breakdown on Sterling versus Jan? So Sterling, so I think like, you know, when you talk to Jan, and we were fortunate enough, we watched the fights the week before our fight. We were out in Vegas, and we actually watched the fights with Sterling. By no means are like we buddies or anything. We were just at the same place. We watched the fights, and we got to talk to him a little bit. It seems like a really nice kid. Um, he, he was just saying like that morning, like he – he he miscalculated like what time the fight was. He thought the fight was going to be earlier. So he only ate breakfast. He didn't eat lunch. And he said he just went in there like he was in the locker room starving and stuff like that. So, you know, is that true? I don't know. But, you right. know, he, he feels like, you know, he went in already kind of gassing out because he, he didn't get enough nutrition. His nutrition was off that day. So maybe that's the case. And he had a bad neck in camp so he couldn't really grapple. He got his neck fixed. You know, his neck is fixed. He got a. Uh, he has a better plan for the nutrition stuff going into the next one. And I think if you look early on in that fight, like he was doing well. Yeah. Um, I thought he won the first round, but I guess the judges had him losing the first round and then winning the second and then the third, sure, yeah. you know, he lost. And the fourth was kind of like, you know, th- that's when the knee happened, but, uh, he clearly was getting tired, you know, but I think if he's able to, um, you know, his, his neck is fixed, he's able to get the nutrition locked in. Right. And then go in there with a, a little bit better of a plan in terms of like, right, I'm not going to redline it for the first five minutes and gas out. I think, I, I really think he can beat Jan. I, um, you know, I think Jan's a, a dangerous fighter, but I think if you go back and watch the Jimmy Rivera fight, like he didn't really dominate Jimmy Rivera. He kind of was like losing the fight except for, you know, a couple punches where he dropped him and that, that one on the rounds. Um, cause you know, we were on that same card. I was watching from the green room. Um, I, I think Sterling can beat him. You know, I think I think there's it's it's, a, it's kind of a pick 'em fight in my opinion. I think a lot of people have Jan probably dominating in the rematch, but I really think uh, Aljamain Sterling. He's got some smart coaches around him. He's, um, you know, anytime you make it a grappler can't grapple during camp because of his neck. You know, it's it's tough to go out there and grapple in a fight, and and you know that showed a little bit. So I, I would honestly like if I had to pick, I'm going to pick Sterling in the rematch just because I think that. Uh, He'll fight a little bit smarter this time, and I think he'll go in more confident because he sees what he was able to do last time when he didn't really feel 100%. And then Sanhagen versus TJ? I, I got to go with Sanhagen just because you hear these stories about them in the gym years ago when yeah. Sanhagen was a nobody, and I guess he used to just beat the shit out of him, and you know he's uh, you know took he's his tough. took his lunch money so to speak, and. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that's a fight that they wanted, you know, and from what I understand is it's a fight that they were like, well, TJ will never take this fight. Like he'd be an idiot to take this fight. So, um, you know, once all the other matchups were done, it's probably TJ. I'm speculating here. I don't know, but TJ was probably like told Hey, you fight this kid or, you know, you're not going to get a fight for a little bit. And, um, you know, it was, cause I heard they were trying to do like TJ and Faber. And then oh, really? Faber's wow. timeline didn't work out or something like that, which that would have been interesting for yeah, like a storyline. Story yeah. But, you know, that that didn't work out. So then it was like, you know, Sanhagen's available. And, you know, from what I understand is they, they Sanhagen's side didn't think that the TJ would take it just because of how it went in the gym. And that's always going to give someone like Corey confidence. And then anytime you're the guy that's taking the fight that you don't really want, it's, it's tough. You're kind of for you. Like, All right, I guess we'll do this one to get to a title because TJ probably wants a title right away. Um I got to go with Corey. I just think that he's probably got the mental edge. He's got youth on his side. TJ's coming off a long layoff and getting knocked out. Um, and maybe now this time he's not allowed to cheat. So I, I don't know. Like, I'm not going to say Cody was, Corey was, uh, sorry, uh, TJ was cheating the whole time. But I mean, you're already champion. You're going to try to be a double champion. That's like kind of a weird time to decide to start cheating. Um, yeah. And then you get all these stories from like, you know, the alpha male guys saying that he's been cheating the whole time. So I don't know. But, that's for him and his team to figure out. I just think that 
he's probably not cheating this time. So that's got a two-year layoff coming off a knockout against a kid that used to beat you up in the gym and you're not cheating now. The cards are kind of stacked against you in my opinion. So you're going with Sanhagen. I'm going with Sanhagen. That was a very long-winded Sanhagen answer. No, it's good. And then real briefly, I want to get some more uh, about you as well, some more questions in about you. But just briefly, who do you have coming up? Who else do you have coming up that's uh, on the fast track that we're going to be seeing soon? Yeah, so we got uh, the young kid in our gym, Tom Pagliaro. Uh, Pagliarulo. It's just a freaking hard name to say. Pagliarulo. Uh, he's 1-0. <laughs> he just fought for CFFC. He was like 5-1 as an amateur. So Rob took him under his wing probably like two years ago. He's at a gym. He started doing privates with Rob. And Rob's like, man, get over here and train with us. And so he's been in the gym with us for a couple of years. He, he's he literally just trains with Rob and Calvin and our, and our coaching staff. And then, um, you know, he's just surrounded by these guys. He's benchmarking the whole time. And he's like a six foot tall featherweight. who's like real long and skinny, but he's super strong. And he's a college wrestler, um, getting better at jujitsu every day. And, and now he's like keeping fights standing, you know, he's using that Rob font footwork. And he went out there and his, uh, pro debut, couple months ago on four days notice and got a, the other team threw in the towel, I think in the second round. And, um, it was tough too. I think he was like five and two amateur. It was his pro debut, and you know Tom went out there and did his thing. So yeah, we're excited about his next fight, and um, we get this other kid, Nick Fiore, that trains with us. He's actually Robin Calvin's jujitsu coach, young kid, twenty four. He's one of those like young phenom jujitsu guys that just put you in heel hook from any position, yeah. and he's uh, super yeah, he good. And now he's getting better at his striking from working with Robin Calvin and, and his wrestling because he's working with my wrestling coach too. And so it'll be interesting to see him. Uh, he's one and zero pro, and then you know we're trying to book his next fight. So. Uh, yeah, we're trying to keep the circle small, but we do got some young studs coming up, and um, I'm excited about the uh, the future of some of these young guys. Nice. And then uh, loyalty. Like I like to, to talk about this a little bit, and you know, we got a lot of guys that train here in Thailand, and I don't have a fight only gym. You know, I have a fighter gym, but it's built for everyone. So I have a unique thing that's kind of like a an it factor kind of ex- excursion attraction theme park slash gym. So it's for every type of person in the world, not just it's where everybody can come and train like a fighter in a real fight oriented ex- uh, environment with a great curriculum alongside world champion fighters and great fighters that we do have on our fight team. But it's not a solid uh, fight gym for all fighters. Like most gyms are built for fighters, and then just allow other people to come i had to specifically build a gym for everybody and then have fighters come otherwise we don't get all the other people because when you build a fight gym it's intimidating and it's scary and fighters if you don't have the right fighters they intimidate the other people but we're very i'm very strict with the fighters that i have which is why i have a high percentage of very good fighters who win a lot because it's very hard to be on my fight team at AK Thailand because I'm very strict and I don't, I'm not trying to build a huge team. So I don't need a bunch of people and it doesn't run the gym. So I'm very strict on who I get. Loyalty is very, very, very high on me along with, uh, you know, decency and just, just how people act their you know, their training, their work ethic, their, their team work, the, how they help each other. Uh, you know, there's so many other things, but loyalty is so big for me because here in Thailand, especially we see these guys that hop around from gym to gym, to gym, to gym. I've seen it for years and years and years for 10 years. You'll see these guys hop around from gym to gym to gym, and then they make nothing of themselves. Um, you know, or they stay at a gym because they're, they're getting something, you know, be it like some of the gyms pay them or, or they, they give them housing or they get and for like 300 bucks, they'll train at a, at a worse gym because they're saving 300 bucks versus like putting their career ahead at a, at a gym where they have better curriculum, better training, better connections, better whatever. Um, I had Khabib on and Khabib really stressed about loyalty. And that's one thing we've always had at AK, how important it is because sometimes when you're training, 
a lot of times when you're training, you have to depend on your teammates. And it's like you can always go try to find a gym with, with better teammates that have better fights or bigger names or bigger – whatever the case. You can chase the, the the greener grass for your whole career, but you're always going to be the bottom guy and, and then working your way. You're going to be the new guy all the time. And when it comes for ho- the time for holidays and, 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 and breaks and all this kind of stuff and you need those guys to come in, they're never going to come help you if you're not loyal to them and they're not loyal back to you. You know what I mean? I've, I've had to come in on Christmas and New Year's and birthdays and – all these different things to help Jake and help Koscheck and to help Fitch get ready for their fights. And they did the same for me. And I think that comes from loyalty because they're like brothers for you and they're going to help you at any time. Plus when you're training in a normal camp and when you're training normally, they're going to stay late. They're going to come in and help you do other things. Where, where, where is loyalty on your, your level or, or I guess your, your ladder of success? Where, where do you rate that? And, and how important loyalty is to you, to the gym, to each other? Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's the old adage like treat others as you want to be treated. It's kind of the MO that we have. It's like, I don't have to ask Calvin to drop what he's doing and come to Vegas a week early for Rob's fight because his whole life is to just help his teammate get prepared if he's not in camp, you know? Yeah. He's training anyway. Like we said before, like these guys, whether or not they're the ones with the battle agreement, they're all there at every session. Even if it's to sit there and watch the training, if, if we're not leveraging his skill set, so then he'll get some mitts on the side as, you know, the guy in camp kind of gets priority. Um it's just a like you said the brothers they it's a, it's a bond that they have we don't i think the culture that we have is that they, we don't have to beg these guys to come in it's just they just say hey, hey tell us where the schedule is and they're there i don't have to confirm with people on uh, whether it's a holiday or whether it's you know calvin's we, we train on christmas day for uh for calvin's fight you know right. um we don't have to ask Rob to show up. Rob just beat Marlon Rice the week before, but he's in he's in the gym. He's wearing yeah. street clothes and he's joking around. You know, he's probably eating donuts, but uh, but he's there. You know, it's a camaraderie, and I think that that's just a culture that you build with uh, you know the brotherhood of like the bond that we have. Is you know we all used to be teammates, and then I kind of graduated to a coach, and um, that's the culture we have. But like loyalty is a weird term in, in martial arts because I think. I think the term loyalty gets it's a one way street from what I've seen in this sport. And it's, it's almost comes down from the, the coaches who, Hey, you have to be loyal to the team. Don't you dare go train anywhere else, which is a whole nother thing. Um, don't you dare think about leaving this gym. Like you, you have to be loyal to the team, you know, but then it's like, you're going to take that, that team, that coach hat off and you're going to put your, your businessman hat off and say, Hey, sorry, I can't be there. I have a business to run. Right, and then you're like, you know, oh, oh, sorry, like I'm, I can't be there today because I have a seminar, or, um, and then you're gonna take that hat off, and then you're gonna put your family hat on, and say, hey, sorry, sorry, I know you're in camp, but I can't be there because I, you know, I have a family, you know, so it's like I think loyalty, and then and then the fighters end up leaving or whatever because they feel like you're not loyal to them. Loyalty is usually only, especially when you see it like fighters switching camps. It's never talked about like. You know, fighters don't air their dirty laundry and, you know, they try to keep it professional. But a lot of times when you see these fighters change camps, it's because their coaches aren't all in. Right. You know, it's it's tough. And I'm sure you've seen it. Like, there's nothing worse than you going through a fight camp and and your coach shows up late or your coach doesn't show up or your coach is on his phone the whole time yeah. or he doesn't care. Or like, hey, you, you know, you can't even get your coach to watch a video, you know. Um, that's not a coach. That's the guy who just wants to be famous. And um, I think – loyalty it's a sensitive word to me because i think you know based on our history and our past and i don't name drop or anything like that is you know we've seen loyalty is always called out in mma about the fighters need to be loyal but i think the other 
the other side of that is the coaches have to be loyal too. So when you see some of these fighters switching camps and, and doing stuff, it's not that they're disloyal. It's that maybe the loyalty wasn't two ways. I agree with that, but I also agree with like sometimes, sometimes the fighter can make the coach not loyal. Um, and, and that 100%. it's so it's so in depth. We can look at this from so many different angles, and I 100 percent agree with you. But yeah, I'm talking about like like Jim, like you you're, you're a top coach. You know, AKA has top coach. I'm talking about the more the top coaches um, that have proven themselves, um, and then having loyal fighters because sometimes the fighters will will make a coach not loyal. You know what I mean? Like if if I you know when I was a coach, you know I, I'm running the gym and I'm running business. But when I was a full time coach, you know. I, I, I didn't want to help the fighters that weren't loyal to us. So, so like if they didn't come in on time or they, you know, they said, Oh, I don't feel good today. I'm going to stay home. It's like, no, you should come in and not feel good and, and watch training. If you're sick, you know, you're going to get the guys sick, stay home. But if it's just an injury or you just, you know, something else, you got to come in and watch and coach the team, you know, coach from the side, uh, if you're injured, whatever the case, but if guys, you know, they're complaining all the time and, and they want me to watch them on the treadmill, you know, like in between camp when they're, when they're doing their cardio and, you know, have to like babysit them all the time and do all this stuff. You know, they have to grow up and understand that we got a full team and, and you got to use everybody. So I've been in the position when I was a coach where some of the fighters drove me not to be loyal to them. So I wasn't loyal to them and, and, and I got them off the team. But I understand what you're saying because there are a lot of coaches out there that are, that are they're, uh, stuck on their A-list fighters and they don't give anyone else a chance, even when they prove themselves and are loyal and bust their ass and, you know, kill their brain cells helping these A-list fighters. And then eventually, of course, you know, they're going to be like, man, I'm out of here, dude. I'm not here to just get my head beat in every day. So I totally understand. It's a very, very more in depth than I thought, I guess, when I asked you. But um, I totally I'm glad you brought that up because you did you did definitely bring up a very good point that I think is also very true with many, many coaches. And we talk about the, the main coaches like you and Javier and all, all, obviously all the big main coaches, but there's a hell of a lot of bad coaches out there, too. And, and a lot of them and and that makes a lot of sense so you got to find a good gym with a good coach that's proven himself then be loyal <laughs> that's the but then, then it also has to be a good fit because you know there's some great fit. great yeah. coaches with great gyms with great teams where maybe you just, just, just don't fit. fit in that but i think maybe maybe we're talking a little bit more about commitment like how there's nothing worse like you i you know it's almost a, a curse like Rob Font came into the gym and he had a naturally good jab but he didn't know how to wrestle he didn't know jiu-jitsu he didn't know take down he literally was he was fat he wasn't like an athlete. It wasn't like, okay, this kid can box jump 40 inches. Like, let's build him into something. Like, he was literally like, if you looked at him on day one, he wasn't the guy that was going to be Rob Funk. He was just the guy that sat next to the mat and watched the the pros and the amateur fight team spar. Like, I remember the first time I met him, he was watching me hit mitts. And on my end, I'm like, all right, this kid, you know, the coach, whiz- and the coach looked over at me. He goes, fuck, he goes, this fucking fat kid's going to want to hit mitts. He's like, I'm just going to make him kick for a minute. He'll gas out and then leave. And that's what he thought about him. Right. I'm like, well, that's kind of a dick move, you know? Yeah. And then that's what he did. He gassed him out and then left. But then Rob's watching me, the, you know, this is a side story, but Rob's watching me hit mitts. And he's like, that kid's supposed to be a good fighter. He sucks. You know, he's watching me hit mitts. And I'm a grappler hit mitts. And he, he's kind of joking about that. But that was the first time we met. And then, you know, Rob comes into the fight team, like no one's paying attention to him. They like not, he, he the first day I was like, Hey, are you going to, are you going to train with us? You want to fight? He's like, oh, I'd love to, but I, I'm not invited to fight train with the team. I'm like, just come to the next practice. Cause I was running most of the practices anyway. And I was like, just come to the next practice. And then sure enough, he comes, we're sitting down and then we got this big speech about if you're not invited to fight practice, you shouldn't be here. And Rob just put his head down and didn't make eye contact. Mm. And then I sparred with him that day. Like the first time I ever sparred with Rob. And I remember after the, the round saying like, man, you have like a really good jab. Like you should use it more. And then, um, from then on he trained with us, but six months later we booked his, his first amateur fight and we were setting up his medicals and he was like being weird about, 
I don't even know if he wants me telling the story, but he was like, hey, can we do it next week? I was like, why? What's the issue? He's like, oh, I get paid on Friday. I was like, no, no, no. So I gave him cash to get his medicals. Here is his first amateur fight. He's a fat kid. Like, no one thinks he's going to be in the UFC. And it was just like, you treat him how you'd want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I always treated the guys. And then some of them stayed committed. Some of them didn't. But um, I guess to get back on track is like those guys that came in the gym that weren't like Rob Vaughn that were already like in great shape. They were superior athletes. They were killing everybody on day one. Those guys are almost tougher to deal with because they don't have to work hard. They don't have to instill that work ethic and like appreciate the, those gains and stuff like that. Cause they're kind of good from day one. And those guys generally peak early. They're not committed to their, their career. They're not going to work as hard. I mean, obviously there's exceptions, but um, from my, you know, my experience is, is the guys like Rob that come in that don't have these crazy expectations they just want to put their head down and work hard and they stay committed to their career you know if they stay committed to their career i buy in i get committed to their career and then and then i think something beautiful can come of it but um i think if you know you've had those fighters that come in the gym and they win a fight you don't see them for three weeks or a month or maybe two months and then they're like next thing you know you see them two months later and they're like yeah i gotta fight in eight weeks it's like well where were you the last eight weeks when all these guys were getting ready you weren't gonna get better it's hard to stay committed to guys like that. And I think that's, yeah. we're kind of using that's loyalty and commitment about, yeah. interchangeably, but I think like, I don't mess around with the guys that aren't committed. And then like, even if I, if I did, if I was dumb enough to do it, Rob would kick those guys out of the gym so fast. Rob doesn't have, he's like a no nonsense guy. Like we have a small room, like it doesn't tolerate part timers, you know, um, we'll weed those guys out so fast. Um, cause we don't want to waste our time. Like anytime that I have to stop and explain something to them, that's a time that I'm not explaining something to Rob and Calvin that could make them better. So it's just, it's detracting more than, than adding. And, uh, we try to weed those guys out real fast. I agree with you hundred percent. The commitment is so important. And I, I, I have to approve everyone that comes on the team and even gets what we call a sponsor, like a, like a, like a probation period, a trial where three months goes by where we have to watch them. Um, and I can't tell you, it's like 10 to one ratio. How many guys come to my office and swear they're going to be in the UFC, swear they're going to train every day, swear they're going to do all this. And then we catch them in like, you know, people are telling me they're in Patong, which is like the party area, Phuket, and they're, they're partying all night, they're drinking, they're chasing women, they're gone for three days to some islands with some girls or whatever the case. And it's just like, dude, get off the team, bro. You're never going to be in the UFC. You're never going to be in the UFC. You have to sacrifice so much to get to the UFC. And then when you get to the UFC, that's like you're, you're at the bottom of like the biggest mountain you will ever climb in your life. That's the day you get to the UFC. Like, like that, that, not even the journey to the UFC, but when you get there, you're still at the bottom of the biggest mountain you've ever climbed. And you better hope you have the commitment, the hard work, the, the, the techniques, everything going for you, and a lot of luck. Because even guys that are doing really good and have all the technique and have everything they need to be at the top don't get there either. So you got to have everything going for you at that point. So I agree with you on that. But let me get your, your advice real quick on just guys coming up. I know we talk, it's going to probably come back to this anyway. But guys, just, just in your opinion, uh, that want to be in the UFC, they come in, they want to talk to you. Uh, maybe they have some good decent skills. They have potential. I want to be in the UFC. I want to be successful. I want to be like Rob Fawn. I want to grow and, and, and be a full-time fighter. What is your best advice? Like as far as in simple terms, I guess one of the most important things that you can tell a fighter um, to prepare him to what it's actually going to be like to climb that ladder and get into the UFC. Man, I mean, it's, I, mean I know there's a lot of things. So just, to, just narrow it down, I guess. It's hard to describe how hard it's going to be. This yeah. is the amount of sacrifice. Everybody sees Rob Font beating Cody Garbrandt, right? But the story of how he got there, yeah. that's 12 years of adversity, 12 years of maybe sometimes missing meals, 12 years of, you know, 
strain on him and Catherine's relationship. That's 12 years of a lot of people going through a lot of coaches that didn't work out. Uh, A lot of people wasting your time going through like a lot of people using you. Like every time you get like to the next step, there's going to be these people that reach out that will, you know, want to kind of abuse your status and then leverage it for their own benefit. And it's, it's basically like you're walking through a field of landmines and you're going to hit a bunch of them. And I, I think, um, yeah, it's tough, man. It's 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 a lot harder than you think. You know, everybody sees these rags to riches stories, but like that whole line in between that that 10, 12 years of what happens in between when you can finally start living off your fight income. Um, most people aren't they're not committed to their career enough to do it or they don't want to work hard enough. And um it's tough because you really try to like almost shy away from it. It's like, listen, you really want to do this. Like you, you really, you understand how hard this is. And I would say like, you need, there's three things that I look for in fighters that are wanting to try to do this full time is, is one, do you have a skill set? That's probably the least important, right? Do you have like the skill set? Um, number two is like, do you have a good work ethic? That's super important. All right. And then like, you're going to keep showing up. You get beat up one day. You're not going to discourage. You're going to come back the next day. You're going to work hard. I don't have to ask you to keep doing if i turn my head you're still working you know um and then the third is you need a good support system like you can't you look at what rob's doing and uh he's had this support of Catherine the whole time at home he didn't have to work she's like i remember after his first amateur fight he lost and i looked at him and we were about we had three guys fighting he was the first one he lost second guy went out and won his amateur debut and he was so excited his name is davis he's just sitting there so happy and then this kid dat was about to go fight and we were in the tunnel about to walk dad out and I was going to corner him and I see Rob kind of sitting there like looking kind of melancholy. And then Davis has got this smile ear to ear. He's so excited. He thinks he's the man. He just won his first amateur fight. <clears throat> I look at Rob, I go, Rob, like you see how Davis is right now? Like, do you want to feel that? He's like, yeah. yeah. I was like, well, then you got to start taking the shit serious. So I was like, you got to get in the gym and do strength and conditioning. Like you got to do this. And then I guess, you know, I didn't even know this till years later, but he went back and talked to Catherine and said, listen, I need to start doing strength and conditioning. I need to do that. And she was like, listen, like, just focus on fighting. Nice. Like he, I think at that time he was a cashier at Seven Eleven or something. And, um, she's like, just, just focus on fighting, do whatever you need to do. I'll pay for strength and conditioning. Um, and then the next week he started doing strength and conditioning the place I was going to. And, um, it takes that level of commitment, whether it be your parents, your wife, your girl, uh, rich uncle, whatever, like you need some support at home for people that are going to like support your dreams and support what you're doing. And if, and if you don't have those, man, it's going to be a long journey. If you have the guy that has no money, but doesn't have support from home and also has a shitty workout, that guy's never going to make it. Um, and like I said, kind of earlier is the guys that have the crazy skill set, but then don't have the work ethic. Those guys never make it. Yeah. Uh, maybe they make it to contender series, but they're never going to make it in the UFC. But then I think this parlays into a bigger problem that I'm seeing lately with like, you know, back in the day when you got in the UFC, it was like, the best fighters got to the UFC. Yeah. Nowadays, it's like storylines and contender series. And, you know, these guys get to 4 and 0 and they're complaining about why they're not already on the contender series. And, like, what the fuck, man? I paid my dues. Like, come on. Yeah. Like, no, 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 no. Like, <laughs> you didn't pay your dues. You've been training for three years. Like, yeah. you know, like Rob went on a ten fight, nine or 10 fight win streak on the local circuit for pennies to get to the UFC. And then and his gift there was, hey, you get to fight George Roop. Now these guys get three or four wins. And then they go on the contender series, making more than you probably ever made on the regional scene, making five and five. And then, and then their gift, like they get in UFC and then they get to fight another guy at the contender series. So it's like that a lot of them are fighting local fights for good money, which is great for them. But I think it's breeding what Rob kind of labeled them as the blue checkmark guys. 
You know, they just want to be able to say they got in the USC, get verified on social media. They're the man back home, big fish in a small pond. They don't actually have any delusions of winning the belt. They're going to post that on social media. Um, when if I'm coming for that belt, no one's ever seen someone like me, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, like they don't really care about winning the belt. They just want to be able to get that blue check mark, go in the UFC, tell bitches that they're in the UFC, and then use it to think they're famous or be some sort of celebrity. It's almost like they want to be famous more than they want to be successful and, and and that shows in a lot of these kids performances they're not they get there before they're ready and then they get weeded out real fast yeah yeah and you know it's a long answer, but. <laughs> no it's good no it's cool what you said that about that too is like like people see my life now you know and it's like yeah, i post pictures on instagram and I'm, I'm helping to motivate people as well i'm not trying to show off i'm trying to inspire because i own a gym in in thailand so it's like it's good for me to be in shape and show that at 41 years old it's good for me to have a good life in thailand and show that phuket's an amazing place and you too can have a good life as well and what people don't realize is you know I'm, I am lucky. I'll, I'll never deny the fact I'm, I'm not lucky as well as everything else. But I've been tra uh, training and fighting since I was eight years old. So I'm 41. So I don't know how many years that is. I'm just to do the math really fast. But I've been competing in, in yeah. Taekwondo tournaments, kickboxing tournaments, boxing tournaments, uh, all, all types of MMA tournaments, uh, amateur pancreation style, MMA style, 21 amateur fights, 25 pro fights. So for, for 30 years plus, however, you know, I've been fighting and I never was a world champion. So I was just grinding, grinding, grinding since I was eight years old, never was was a world champion and then grinded in business the exact same way twice as hard twice as much and have built twice as much of a, of a, of a life from business so yeah i am lucky but it's like a lot of hard work and, and that's what people don't understand and those same people that tell me i'm lucky now and i have this great life they, they were the ones telling me you know back in the day in high school and all these different places like laughing at me because i wasn't going to parties and i was doing these stupid little fights and i was making 200 dollars a fight and wasting my time and i was you know so it's like i totally understand what you're saying man it's a story of my life you know what i mean and fighters have to understand Stand. you know i had this i had the, i made a post like this and the rock actually responded on it on my instagram one time but i'm like you know I always say your hardest worker in the room you got to be the hardest worker in the room to be successful in fighting but you can be the hardest worker in the room which i feel like i've always been kind of one of the hardest workers in the room you can you can be the hardest worker in the room but that doesn't guarantee you're going to make it that doesn't guarantee you're going to be successful and that's why there's so many people that aren't the hardest worker in the room because they know that even if they are there's a chance they're not going to make it and when you when you realize that it makes you not want to push as hard on airdyne or spar quite as hard or train quite as hard or miss a party that your wife's gonna get mad at you about or miss a funeral i miss you know a couple of funerals that, that are very close to me uh and certain things like that because you still know you might have a chance to not make it there, it's not it's not like if i train and sacrifice everything my whole life i'm going to be successful and be a world champion and be the greatest in the world you can do all that sacrificing and still not be there's so many guys that have put all the work in that are so technical deserve it so much and never made it to the top never even made it to the ufc you know and that's why it's so hard to find people that are sacrificing what it needs to be uh to, to be at the top and, and then actually get there or, or at least have that opportunity and i think that's where people quit and that's what makes being successful in the sport so rare and so hard you know and, and guys like you know that you know like font cater and, and all these guys that make it into the ufc they had to do that hard work and they also had luck and they also had a lot of other things on their side but the fact is they knew that and still did it and that says a lot because most people, when they realize they still might not make it, they're like, fuck this, man. I'm going to go take a, a nine to five clock in clock out. And, and, and if, cause if you don't make it after fucking all that shit, I ain't about to do all that shit. Dude. I'll, I'll keep my job. I'll be halfway to, to retirement by the time you realize you can't be a fighter, you know? So you're right, man. It's an ultimate to me. It's an ultimate commitment to be a fighter and get to the top. Then when you get to the top, like an entertainer, you know, sorry, this is the longest damn 
I've ever talked to one time. But when you get to the top, you're like an entertainer. You have to also create a second life for yourself. So you got to do media. You got to do promotion and publicity and market yourself and, and, and network and set up things because it is an opportunity to be a fighter or an actor or an entertainment field in any which way you look at it because you're going to eventually get too old to fight. And then now you have to do, you know, you have to use what you've made and, and your star power, whatever, whatever you want to call it, to then transfer that into something else and then have a whole nother life. Because at like 40 years old, you're still young. And now you have what, 20, 30, 40 years, you got to live, you know, and survive. So it, it, it's not easy. It's tough. Yeah, it's uh, my first job out of grad school. I was in tech sales. I was a trading semiconductor. So it was like buying low, selling high. It's kind of like <laughs> boiler room. And um, I remember I said to my boss, who's an old timer, and I was like, man, it's like, I feel like he just, I just got lucky on that one. I had like a crazy month and I made like more money than I ever made before in my life. I think my commission check was like 13 grand or something like that. Nice. To me, I was like 23. I was rich. You know, I was like, I just got $13,000 for one check, you know? And um, I was like, I just feel like I got lucky though. And, he, and he's like, Tyson, let me, let me teach you a, a lesson real early. And he goes, the harder you work, the luckier you'll yep. get. I heard him And I believe you, you, you know, it's not, the stuff ain't going to happen on its own. And it's not going to happen if you don't work hard. So if you work hard, good things will come of it. It might not always be exactly what you wanted to happen, but I guarantee you it will be better than if you didn't work hard. Yeah, I believe that 100%. 100% I believe that. And you have an MBA, right, in business. So Yeah. So yeah, so I, I think you got that or you, you, you apply that a lot in your coaching for sure. I can tell already from this conversation and from your, your, your coaching as well. Uh, have you been to Thailand? We've always talked about going to Thailand. Me, Rob, and Kevin always talk about going out to Thailand to see you and um, um, – yeah, we, it's definitely on our bucket list. We want to do it. And then COVID has been freaking brutal. But um, yeah, we want to get out there. We want to do it. And um, we, we have to do it. We have to plan time, man. Yeah, well, when you do come out, man, hit me up. And like I said, I, like I told Calvin, like I told Rob, and I'll tell you as well, you're more than welcome to come out. And I'll, I'll show you guys around and everything. So totally open invitation to you. What's up, everybody? I am here in Thailand. This is the first time I've ever been here. Been dying to come here for years. Mike Swick, he's one of the big reasons he's been trying to pull me down here. What he built down here, AKA Thailand, is incredible. There's people here from all over the world. You can train mixed martial arts here, jujitsu. They have weightlifting, they have cardio, and obviously they have Muay Thai, boxing, everything. telling you guys I know everybody wants to go to Thailand because Thailand's so cool but you can't come to Thailand without coming to aka Thailand come on as a coach uh, what what would you say is one of the uh, best feelings being a head coach that isn't what you naturally would think so like obviously when you win a huge fight what you know uh you know that's a great feeling and, and someone wins and what championship whatever you want to call it but what's another great feeling as being a head coach that, that maybe people don't think about as much or satisfying to you at least i i think it's when i see the other coaches succeed you know like we brought in some different coaches, you know, our wrestling coaches, our boxing coaches, Muay Thai coaches, stuff like that. We brought in different coaches and getting to see them like climb that ladder in their own career too, like getting to see them get that clout. And then all of a sudden, like 
you see someone ask them for a picture or you see someone like tagging them in a picture of one of the fighters on Instagram or something like that and being like, wow, that coach is great and kind of getting to see their rise and getting kind of like notoriety in their, in their skill set, And then, and then other fighters kind of starting to go and be like, okay, Rob did this with you. I want to go do it. And then you, you see their little business growing and um, you see the success they're having because of this vision that we all had a few years ago. And then now the rub of that is these other coaches that are coming in are starting to become like names themselves. And it's, it's cool to see that progression and, you know, you're proud of them because you know that, a lot of times these guys work so hard and, you know, they're not in the limelight. There, there are a lot of the reasons why, you know, some of these fights are won and, um, these, you know, these weapons that these guys go into the fight into the fight with are so sharp and, um, they're kind of unheralded a lot at some time, you know, they're not getting a lot of the credit, you know? And, um, so it's cool to see like that rub that they get. And then now all of a sudden, like, you know, these younger generation of fighters are looking up to them as like the path, you know? So I, I think that's always, uh, rewarding to me to see is that you know this thing that we're doing over here with the cartel is having this like side effect of these other making these other coaches lives better you know they're just martial artists that are putting their head down and working hard but as a result of that they're starting to you know maybe make a little bit more money maybe get a little bit better of a a following at their gyms and um, it's having a positive impact on their life. Yeah, I should have started with the the, the the negative question first to the positive question, but I have to go to the opposite of that. And I don't I don't want to say the the least favorite or the hate the thing you hate the most something like that. But what is just the the the, the biggest struggle, I guess, uh, being a head coach that you wouldn't think about? Obviously, losing a fight, the whole going back to the drawing board sucks. You know, when you when you lose a fight and you're like going back to the drawing board, and that's all on you. You know, you, you're that drawing board. You know, that's got to come up with a new a, a new work at, uh, work plan workflow for the for these fighters and then and then game plan and stuff. But what what is a, a big struggle that you have as a coach that people might not you know realize that, that you have to go through and it could be something you talked about earlier the whole the, being away from your family being away from things like that but but what would you say is a, is a struggle or, or sacrifice that you make as a head coach that some people might not see or appreciate as much i think that the navigating the business end of of the sport and um you know you were fortunate you you had a gym like aka which had like a lot of beasts in the room and and you had some famous coaches and you know um some famous fighters and I think, you know, you look at the, where the business end of is now is it's constantly other coaches trying to steal your fighters or even on the manager side, other managers trying to steal your yeah. fighters. And like, and everybody's got their own little, little side deals going on. Like this coach, you know, this, this coach will reach out like, Hey man, you, you know, you should, you should come check out my gym. And it's like, well, okay. So you want him to like leave me to come to your gym, <laughs> but like, clearly you want him to like go there and then start paying you or, or whatever. Did you see a lot of that? And then you see a lot of like, um, you know, managers doing the same thing, but like managers are trying to like come in take your guy, bring him to another gym because if they get him to leave my gym and then go to another gym, they're going to get a percentage of his coaching fee and they're going to make more. And it's like, so you see a lot of these like little scumbags running around trying to make a little bit of higher of a percentage here and there. And, um, but, and then name dropping the whole time. Like, oh, I manage this guy. I, you know, I, I can sell you that dream too. Like, you can be a champion, but you just come over here. And, and they try to get you to switch gyms and switch managers or whatever. And um, I just think navigating that side, because you just constantly got these little D-bags in the DMs and at events trying to buy them drinks and stuff like that. And, you know, we're fortunate that we're such a tight-knit group that none of it really affects us. But at what point, like, does that you know, have an effect on a fighter where people are constantly reaching out saying that they think they can do better. And, 
in this match. Like, I never reached out to another fighter trying to steal him, whether it be as a manager or as a coach, you know, because I manage a bunch of guys too. But it's like, I just think there's there's a big lack of integrity on the business end of this sport. Right. It's the Wild West. And um, it, it, it sometimes it can be a little tough navigating that. It can be a little bit disenfranchising. But um, that's why you get to qualify, the, like you said, you have the probational period. Like, I'm not going to invest emotionally into people until they prove that they're worthy of it. Yeah, and that's where that NBA comes in handy, and I think why you're doing such a great job. Uh, and then uh, you, you were the uh, the 2020 Coach of the Year from MMA Junkie, correct? Yeah, me and Eric, uh, my boy Eric Nixick from Machine Couture, we got the uh, co-award. We always joke oh, around. Nice. Anytime he puts it up, I'm like, no, co-coach. Anytime I post it, he's oh, like, nice. no, you're the co-coach. Don't cut him out. But, yeah, no, that was, that was cool. Um, if I could trade that award in for a win over Max Holloway, I would do it yeah, in a second. Course. You know, I'm not in this for – individual awards i think it's 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 good in the sense that we go to a seminar i don't feel stupid putting on a seminar because right, like, right. like now it's like you can say like well he was coach of the year it's like then it's like because when we first started doing seminars as a team i'm like well who the frig wants to, like they want you guys in a seminar not me and then rob and calvin like no you have to do it with us and it's a cartel seminar and that you know i was fortunate that they wanted to bring me along for that but now i don't feel as cheesy if it's a seminar with the three of us because then i can at least be like well i got a paper word over here that shows that i'm worthy of doing this so um yeah, no, it's flattering. I think you, you know, you grow up um, as a fighter in the sport. And then when I was a young coach and um, you see these coaches getting those awards and you benchmark, you're like, yeah, man, that'd, be, that'd yeah. be cool someday. Like, it's cool that they get that recognition. And then you, you try to, like, try to do as good as they do. And then, um, you know, it was just we were fortunate that we had some success last year during the pandemic and we took advantage of it. And um, people noticed. So I, I feel, you know, blessed for that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't doesn't really change anything right no but i mean it does a lot quite a bit i think but uh and then i will say uh you know it's great to have you on the show now that you know new england cartel starting to do some big things and uh you know great to have you on uh, as you're climbing up right now i think you're going to do some big things and win some more awards um anything that you'd like to say or uh thank or uh, how we can get a hold of how, how the viewers can get to your 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 new england cartel information and and social media and stuff yeah, so uh, I think we're any cartel MMA on Instagram, and I'm Tyson underscore Tardy on Instagram. Um, you know, we have links in uh, both bios to if you want to buy cartel swag. You know, we've we've had a lot of support there. You know, t-shirts, hoodies, sweatpants, stuff like that. And then um, any seminars that we got coming up, we'll we'll, we'll post about. Um, but yeah, man, no, I just appreciate like you setting a good example for these fighters because, like you said, like they only have a it's a finite amount of years that they have to make money as a fighter. And then they have to parlay that into a career afterwards. And I think you're a good example of what someone can do. Um, obviously I'm not in your bank accounts or anything like that, but you look like you're doing pretty well. Like you look happy and you know, it's beautiful. I always see the pictures that you post and you're, you're doing your podcast now. And like at the end of the day, like you're still hustling, you know, I think some of these fighters think like they're going to go and get rich and then they're just going to retire and be rich or something like that. But it's a constant hustle. I think you're a good roadmap for some of these fighters to see you came up, you cut your teeth in the UFC and um, then you retired and then you still make, you parlayed that into another career or like, you know, MMA 2.0 and you're, and you're still hustling. And then now you're giving the younger fighters or even younger coaches like me, like, you know, the same age, um, a platform to kind of like do our thing and then parlay that into something down the road. So, you know, I appreciate that. And I told you off air that I, you know, I used to be a fan of yours. I, I, and I didn't even tell you this, but like you and Rob were talking about, not to ramble, but you and Rob were talking about how like that moment after the fight where you just kind of like to be alone, be in the shower, have your thoughts. And I'm not trying to be creepy or anything, but when you fought Alex Garcia in that last fight, 
I cornered Doomsday the fight before you. And then I had my bags in the locker room because me and my wife, we delayed our honeymoon so I could go corner Doomsday. And then I flew out in a red eye right from the locker room to Miami to meet her because we went on a honeymoon. And I was in the shower at the same time you were in the shower. Oh, yeah. and I remember just being like, do I say something? Do I not? Like, you know, I just <laughs> lost. And I was like, hey, man, good fight. I always been a fan. Then I just walked out. And I was yeah. like, and then I remember thinking like, I just talked to a dude in the shower. And I was like, man, yeah. is he going to think I'm weird? <laughs> so I was, uh, I remember that when you brought that up on the first, talk, first podcast with uh, with Rob. Right before I let you go, I'm going to say something really fast. It's a funny story that came to my mind, uh, which, which uh, definitely hits your point that you just made about fighters taking the rich. Um, I literally, uh, in the, in the beginning of my career, middle, sort of beginning to middle of my career, I was making a ton of money. What I thought to be a ton of money, big checks, big wins. I was a five fight win streak in the UFC. At one point I was nine and one in the UFC. And so like when I fought Hardy, I was nine and one, nine victories, one loss in the UFC. Um, and I remember taking my mom to shopping and I went and bought her. My mom's a country girl. You know, we grew up in small town, Texas. So we grew up, you know, with not much on a ranch and, you know, we grew up very small and I took her shopping and I bought her something really nice, a few nice things and everything. She was so worried. She's like, oh man, you can't spend this kind of money on me. Like you can't, you know, you got to be careful. You can't spend this kind of money. And I literally told my mom, don't worry, I'm rich. And I, I always wanted to say that. I always just wanted to say that. I said, don't worry, I'm rich. And it just made me feel so good. And I was so happy. And then later on, uh, after that happened, coincidentally, in the middle of my career, when I was further along in my UFC career, I went 910 days without fighting. I blew my ACL, MCL meniscus, and I couldn't do seminars. I couldn't do appearances. I couldn't fight. Uh, one of my big sponsors cut out because poker became illegal, Full Tilt Poker. I was a full-time uh, member of their site, and I was getting paid a lot of money from them. Everything ended for three years. And I then had to, because I had a joint account with my mom that I had saved a lot of money and that I was, it was hers and mine together. We put money in and save money. I then had to go to my mom and essentially borrow money because I had to get into that account to survive and to keep myself alive so that I could continue fighting and then uh, eventually build up some more money so I could come and start doing more business. And I didn't want, to, I couldn't take out of my business because it was barely at that time. Uh, you know, had enough. So it's just a funny story of like, yeah, when those checks are coming in, you feel rich. I mean, when I told my mom, I wasn't lying. Like I felt like I was rich and I felt like I was going to continue to win every fight. Like I had already won, like it was never going to end. And I really did feel rich and I really wasn't, you know what I mean? I was temporarily doing okay. And then I had to go borrow money from her essentially and get by. So that's just a funny little story I have to share just to, just to kind of reiterate your point. Cause you're a hundred percent correct on that. I'll get off of me right now. This is about you. Um, a great coach, uh, a a fantastic uh, podcast with you. I'm a big fan of the New England Cartel, big fan of Font, big fan of Cater. I'm always going to be uh, following you guys and, and rooting for you in all your fights. So definitely come back on the show and, and, and give me some updates, uh, whether we talk about your guys, whether we talk about what you got coming up. Um, especially, I think we got some big things coming up with Font here soon. We want to get back on there with him and with you. I'd love to have both y'all on at the same time. It would be awesome. Um, so thanks for being on the show. I greatly appreciate it. All right, man. I appreciate it. We're going to go out there and we're going to do a live podcast in studio. In studio right here. There we go. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, man. Thank you.